0: And welcome to Spanish Answers, a podcast that gives you unas yavitas claves as you unlock your Spanish language adventure. I'm your host, Sarah, with Language Answers, and today in episode 61, we will be finishing up our three-part series on animals, baby animals, and more. So check out episodes 60 and 59 if you want to see the first two parts. But finally, today, we get to the more part of the series. So what are some of the collective nouns Spanish speakers use when referring to animals? While it's not nearly as complex as the list we have in English, there are still a good number to go over. So let's get started. Let's begin with a bit of historical context. Now, of course, you can always say un grupo de algo to refer to a generic group of something like un grupo de gatos, a group of cats, but it's more proper, and you sound smarter, to use the correct Spanish collective noun. Now, Spanish is nowhere near as complex as English. With our leap of leopards and convocation of eagles, you might well wonder, why does English have such a long list of collective nouns? Well... According to the BBC and the MacCarrie Dictionary, I'm sorry, I'm sure I butchered that name. Anyways, it all began in the 15th century when a prioress called Juliana Berners wrote The Book of St Albans, also known as The Book of Hawking, Hunting, and Blazing of Arms in 1486. While a large part of the book seems to have been taken from other sources, the section on hunting appears to be original, and here enters Juliana's compiled list of 165 collective nouns, including a baron of mules, or the more humorous superfluity of nuns and state of princes. So there you have it. This tradition of creativity and sassiness has continued throughout the decades, giving us our modern list of collective nouns. One final note, Juliana is the first female author to write in English that we know of. Pretty exciting. So let's go ahead and look at some of the basic collective nouns in Spanish. I have to admit, I thought I had heard most of the collective nouns regarding animals, but I surprised by the diversity that I found in Spanish. For example, did you know that a herd of horses is called una caballada? Una caballada. But interestingly, if it's a herd of mares, it's una yeguada. Una yeguada. Now, a herd of cows or livestock is una vacada. Una vacada. And a herd of bulls is una torrada una torada. Are you noticing a theme with the ada ending? I honestly had never heard of these four, but I do find it very interesting that in Spanish there are specific terms for a herd of horses, a herd of mares, a herd of bulls, and a herd of cows or livestock. Now for wild animals that we would usually use the word herd for in English, such as buffalo or deer, They would use una manada in Spanish. Una manada. This also applies to non-cattle-like, but often mammalian species, such as whales, dolphins, seals, porpoises, and even walruses. So you'd have una manada de ballenas, una manada de delfines, or de focas, de marsopas, y de morsas. Yes, I know, porpoises are not mammals. Yet, they still use una manada for them. A pack of dogs or wolves would be una jaurilla. Una jaurilla, and that's with a -A J-A-U-R, accented I, A. Una jaurilla de perros or lobos. Now, while searching the internet for clarification, the general impression I got was that una jaurilla is for a pack of hunting dogs, hounds, if you will, but can also be used for wild dogs or wolves that hunt together. Now, that being said, you can also say una manada de perros or una manada de lobos. If you have any other further clarification, please send it to me. However, a litter of dogs, una camada de perros, or you could say una camada de gatitos or una camada de cerdos, this refers to young animals such as babies or crías. If you wanted to say a drove or drift of pigs, though, adult pigs, it'd be una piara, una piara. A school or a shoal of fish is un banco de peces, un banco, or you could say un cardumen, un cardumen. Honestly, though, I'm not sure if there is much of a difference between the two. Banco or cardumen, please let me know if there is. But it seems that if you use un carniment, you're going to prevent any confusion as to whether or not you mean a bank, a bench, or a school of fish. Because Banco has all those meanings. Now, a flock or a herd of sheep is called un rebaño. Un rebaño. And this also applies to a herd of goats. Un rebaño de cabras. However, in Latin America, you could also refer to a herd of sheep as una grey. Una grey. G-R-E-Y. I feel like I should be able to use that in a game of Spanish Scrabble for sure. Una grey. Now, a flock of birds is called una bandada. Una bandada. Or, you could say una parvada. Una parvada. In general, though, I have seen una bandada way more than I've seen una parvada. A group of pack animals, such as a mule train, would be called una recua. Una recua. And a swarm of bees would be un enjambre, un enjambre. A cloud of flying insects, however, would be una nube, like una nube de moscas, a cloud of flies, una nube. And last but certainly not least, a colony of bats would be una colonia, una colonia. So in that, it's actually very similar to English, a colony of bats, una colonia, but Una colonia is a term used for any group of animal or insect that lives together in a limited area. So you could use this term not just for bats, los murciélagos, but also for penguins, los pinguinos, mussels, los mejillones, ants, las hormigas, with an H at the beginning, herons, las garzas, and even beavers, los castores. So it's a very wide range that you can use una colonia for. Now, while Spanish may not have taken the more artistic side when it comes to their collective nouns, I thought I would share a few of the clever ones in English along with the Spanish animal name, just for fun. Because how could you not cover some of the ridiculous terms we have in an episode talking about collective animal nouns? So here are some interesting English ones. There's a clouder of adult cats, so los gatos, and clouder is related to the word clutter, so Totally makes sense, right? There's a bloat of hippopotamuses, los hipopótamos, bloat of hippopotamuses, los hipopótamos, which is self-evident, a kaleidoscope of butterflies, las mariposas, a murder of crows, los cuervos, and this one is one of my favorite collective nouns in English. A murder of crows. A squabble of seagulls, las gaviotas, and... Disney Pixar's *Finding Nemo* has forever changed how you see seagulls, and this term is perfect. There's a Parliament of Owls, *Los Bujos*, Parliament of Owls, *Los Bujos*, and in myths and legends, owls are for some reason always considered wise, even though in reality they are pretty stupid. So I can see how this relates to politics. There's a dazzle of zebras, *Las Cebras*, and a tower of giraffes, *Las Girafas*. Another self-evident term. A skulk of foxes, los zorros. So, did you ever see the movie, The Mask of Zorro? Who knew it was really the Spanish word for fox? Pretty cool. Now, a cackle of hyenas, las hienas, and the sound a hyena makes is like an evil cackle, so that works. Troubling of goldfish, un pez dorado. Of all the things that trouble me, goldfish has never made the list. So this is a weird one. A pride of lions, los leones. Have you seen Disney's The Lion King? I mean, need I say more? Pride is perfect. And lastly, a murmuration of starlings, los estorninos. I love this word, murmuration. A murmuration of starlings. And that concludes our three-part series on animal names. I hope that you've enjoyed it or at least learned some interesting things. At the very least, you can now impress your friends in Spanish or English with your vast array of knowledge. Let's go ahead and finish up as well our cultural tip series on Peru. Today we'll focus on some unique traditions that Peru has, and Peru has a lot of cool and unique traditions, but I managed to pick just three to share with you today. The first one is El Festival de Marinera, or the Marinera Festival. In the northern coastal city of Trujillo, they are known as the official national capital of the Peruvian dance, La Marinera. This cool dance involves awesome traditional dress and mimics a couple's courtship, with both the male and female starting the dance far apart until, as the dance progresses and the male continues to woo his lady, the couple dance together. Both dancers also hold handkerchiefs throughout, making it look very similar, to my untrained eye, to the Chilean Cueca. So, see episode 58 on Chile's fiestas Patrias for more information on that dance. There appears to be another version of the dance that is similar to a line dance with people in rows holding their handkerchiefs and doing the same footwork and or body movements. You can see examples of both dances in the YouTube links I'm going to include in the show notes. I highly recommend that you check them out. It looks like they are flash mobs in Italy, so the world is a global place, my friends. Anyways. While I admit that I wasn't sure how I felt about the two kids dancing a courtship dance um, in the middle of the first video, the one that happens in Milan, I have to say I was pretty blown away by their skill. It's incredible. Now, the dance, the Marinera, has a long history stemming from a much older dance called the Zamacueca. They renamed it in the 19th century in honor of the Peruvian Navy, La Marina, so in Trujillo, every year they host an impressive marinera competition, El Concurso Nacional de Marinera. In fact, the festival itself lasts a month. They also have parades and show the Peruvian Paso, a specific type of horse important to Trujillo. If you'd like to try to learn this dance, check out the playlist on YouTube created by Del Norte Soy, Tutorial de Marinera Norteña. Or if you want just the basic steps, you can check out this video by the Ministerio de Educación del Perú as part of the hashtag Aprendo en Casa. Number two is the Fiesta de la Candelaria, or Candelaria Holiday. This two-week-long celebration fuses indigenous and Catholic traditions as they commemorate the Virgin of Candelaria, who is the patron saint of Puno, a town located on Lake Titicaca by the Bolivian border and who is also associated with Mother Earth or Pacamama. Again, sorry if I butchered that. This is a huge celebration, with lots of music, dancing, and parades. It begins February 2nd, although preparations for the big event may begin as early as December. In fact, UNESCO declared it an intangible cultural heritage of humanity back in 2014. Now, according to Pedro Hop, this festival is the third biggest event in all of South America. Throughout the festival, there are celebrations, music, parades, and numerous dance competitions, with participants richly dressed in colorful and traditional outfits and masks. Masses are held on February 2nd with the procession known as La Procesión Vergen de la Candelaria in the afternoon. Masses of Albas are held early on February 9th with the Vísperas de la Fiesta Octava later that evening. Just to give you a glimpse of the more religious side to the festival, in 2020, There were also fireworks. So, if you want to catch a glimpse of the festivities, check out the YouTube video I've included in the show notes by TV Peru. Now, the third one is La Festividad del Señor de los Temblores del Cusco, or Cusco's Lord of the Earthquakes Festival. Cusco's patron saint is El Señor de los Temblores, and this week-long celebration is in honor of him. Legend has it that in 1650, during an earthquake, someone held up a canvas image of Jesus Christ while praying and the earthquake stopped. So how do they commemorate the event? There's a giant statue of Jesus Christ on the cross, which they take from the cathedral in Cusco and parade through the city every Easter Monday at 7pm. Supposedly, the statue was commissioned by Emperor Charles V, made intentionally to look like the local population. It is said that the statue has been blackened over the years from so much candle smoke. So if you want to see the solemn event, I have, of course, included another YouTube video in the show notes. And that concludes our cultural tips on Peru. Next time, we will begin focusing on Venezuela. Well, that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to check out the show notes for links to the resources I used for this episode. If you would prefer to read an approximate transcription of today's episode, you can also visit the episode's blog. I would love to help you on your Spanish journey. So if you have any questions about Spanish culture or grammar, or even if you just need help editing or creating content in English, you can reach me at contact at languageanswers.com or visit my website for more information at www.languageanswers.com. Remember, learning a language is a lifelong journey. Aprovechalo, disfrútalo, y compártelo. See you in two weeks! ¡Hasta luego!